Welcome to BSD Talk, number 72. It's Monday, October 2nd, 2006. In the news, OpenBSD is ending support for the CATS platform. And also, if anyone from the New England area, Maine, New Hampshire, Boston, Massachusetts, is going to the New York City BSD Con at the end of this month and is interested in a carpool, it would be great for everyone to get together for the drive south. Now on to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Paul Henning-Kamp, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you describe briefly who you are and what you do? I'm probably best known for having coded on the FreeBSD kernel for about a decade, or more than a decade, I guess. I'm an independent contractor living in Denmark, and generally solve weird problems for people where they need computers to do weird things that's not off-the-shelf solutions and stuff like that. And, of course, a lot of it will happen to run FreeBSD by the time I'm done with it. But I do contract works of pretty much every sort, which I find sufficiently interesting and profitable. So um, pretty much anything people can throw at me. Okay, the reason I wanted to speak to you again today was regarding your recent 1.0 release of Varnish. Could you describe what that project is? Varnish is an interesting project. It's pretty far away from my normal um, area. It's a Norwegian newspaper which contacted me about a year ago, I think, that they wanted a better web caching solution for their web servers. They were quite simply running out of of Steam running Squid. And initially I thought, this doesn't really sound like so interesting to me. It's like, there's nothing kernel about this and so on. But then I realized it actually has a lot to do with the kernel because we're talking about getting the most out of the kernel. So I I decided to take this project, and, and over the life of the project, it actually... I learned a lot about web servers, which I didn't know before, and um, I think we've managed to do something very interesting by taking a new view on the entire web performance area of of dynamic websites. So um, I think Varnish is is going to be more than a program. It's probably going to be a bit of a phenomena in the web serving business. But the, the, the really short explanation is that Varnish is a cache you put in front of your web server if you have performance problems. And apparently performance problems is something pretty much everybody has who uses a content management system of any kind. Now, how does this caching proxy differ from a traditional proxy that you might put at your organization to speed up your access to the Internet? It's quite a different situation. When you put up a a cache at the client side of the network, you have no reason to or, or right to even think about the content's content. Uh, you're supposed to be transparent at any cost, and there's a lot of, of uh, privacy issues. For instance, you're not allowed to cache content which might have been password protected because obviously the content might be different for a different password and certainly shouldn't be shown to anybody without a password. So the requirements of a client-side cache is to stay transparent at any cost. There's practically nothing you can do to content at that side. On the other hand, where we sit, we sit at the content provider's side, we are an extension of his web server. So not only does he own the content, he may also decide to to distribute the content delivery process so that the web server will do some parts of it 
and and the varnish server in front of it will will somehow add value or efficiency or whatever to his content delivery process. And that means varnish may actually be allowed to cache content that's password protected because the site owner will obviously know that, that by the time we get the request to here, the password has been authorized and the content is the same for all the passwords. It's just do they have a password, do they not have a password. All sorts of, of um, decisions like that are entirely up to the content owner. And therefore, Varnish can, can be much more than a transparent proxy. It can, can go in and, and do a lot of, of value-added services for the content provider. At least that's what we hope to do, and, and that's why we put a programming language down in the middle of Varnish to, to implement uh, that sort of, of policy decisions. And is Varnish designed to be housed close to the web servers, or can this also be used to put web accelerators around the globe, kind of like what Akamai does? Varnish is not really designed around that decision. Obviously, the, the networking distance from Varnish to the backend server will affect the performance whenever Varnish has to pick something up. But there's nothing wrong with putting a Varnish server on the South Pole and have your web server in, in uh, Minneapolis. Well, the South Pole may be a bad idea for web uh, connectivity, but but the principle stands, and, and Varnish is designed so that clustering multiple servers hopefully will be a very easy thing. We have a cluster controller concept in mind for version 2, but we have not implemented it yet. We only made all the spaces available for it in the Varnish design. But the idea is that you'd be able to manage a number of Varnish machines as, as a single image solution. So that, for instance, if you want to invalidate a particular document or, or you want to load a new configuration file, you only have to do it once, and, and it will happen on all the, the Varnish machines at the same time. And if one of them were rebooting when you did it, it will get the right information when it comes up and so on. But that's, that's all pretty much paper design at this point and, and the project for, for version 2 of Varnish maybe depending if there's a requirement for it. With the performance numbers we've seen until now, it's, it may not be relevant. And what limitations of Squid was this customer running up against that you tried to solve with Varnish? There's only one real limitation in Squid, and that is it's written for a 1970 computer. We used to read textbooks that says a computer consists of a central processing unit and internal memory and external uh, memory or disks and so on. And, and that's not really the contemporary model of a computer. The operating system and the hardware together is, is a entirely different beast today. So a lot of the stuff that, that Squid optimizes for is, is actually pitomizations these days. Squid does a lot of, of song and dance to try to keep track of which objects are in, in RAM and which objects are on the disk. And in fact, the operating system underneath sits and tries to do exactly the same thing with only slightly different policies. And, and sometimes you'll end up having four times the amount of, of disk I.O. with Squid that, than you will if you, if you play nice with the operating system. In Varnish, we try to play nice so that we don't actually even think about whether the object is in RAM or in disk. We think of it as in virtual memory and leave it to the kernel to decide whether that piece of virtual memory should be in or out at this point in time. So in that sense, we hope to have a lot less disk activity than, than Squid. And, and so far, it certainly looks like that is the case from, from the numbers we've seen. I, I think the major difference is that, that obviously Squid is written as a client cache and it can do weird things with uh, passwords and FTP and stuff like that, and we don't need that. But I think the primary difference is simply a matter of architecture. Varnish is written for the 2000 
kind of computer architecture we're dealing with, as opposed to to AVAX 750 running System 3, which is what Squid sort of optimizes for. Varnish won't necessarily be able to replace Squid in all situations, because currently Varnish is only a reverse proxy, correct? Right. In in a client cache situation, Varnish is no good. That's not to say that you couldn't take the, the, the core bits of Varnish and, and add all the client cache complexity to it. That would certainly be, a, be an option, and, and if there's a market for client caches, somebody should probably do that. But, but right now, we're, we're firmly on the server side of, of the network, and therefore uh, only people who use Squid or Apache with mod cache or something like that to speed up their web servers need to look at Varnish at this point in time. If you're filtering out porn or, or, or spam with uh, Squid on the client side, Varnish won't help you there. And who is working on Varnish? Right now, I think I'm still the uh, main driver for it. I, I pretty much wrote version 1 for uh, for this Norwegian newspaper that's called VG or Verdensgang. But uh, we have a number of, of people starting to run it now, and we're starting to see the first small patches arrive. People have, have found something and, and fixed it up in the source code and, and sent us patches. And, and we do hope to, to build a, a group of people working on Varnish over the next couple of months. It's obviously a very young project at this point in time, so so we're still uh, learning a lot of things, and people are still hearing about us for the first time and so on. But we're getting very good reviews back from the people who have been playing with version 1.0 of Varnish. So we hope to, to build a, a community around it in, in the future. But right now, I guess, Varnish is pretty much me. The, the newspaper has, has entered a contract with a Norwegian software house that's called Linpro, and they're, they're running the, the project side of, of it, the, uh, running the uh, subversion server and the, the wiki server and, and all that sort of stuff. And they will be offering commercial support contracts for Varnish customers and so on. And, and they're obviously a partner in it too, but that's more on the, should we say, operational side at this point in time, uh, not on the, the, on the coding side. How is Varnish licensed? Oh, it's BSD license. Pick it up and go and enjoy it. Did the newspaper participate in the decision to go with the BSD license? That was pretty much actually a requirement from their side from the beginning. I don't actually know what the particular fine point about that decision was. Obviously, I didn't protest it because I'm firmly for the BSD license versus the new license. So I haven't actually delved into why exactly they chose that license. I would expect one of the reasons could be that, that Varnish is a product that has a large potential for going into a high-profit commercial area, uh, i.e. basically competing with uh, Akamai. And, and using the new license would probably prevent people from even thinking about that. So, so I could imagine that would be a, a part of the reason for it. If we talk about web accelerators in general, why not just use more web servers or split out things like images and static content onto certain servers and, and just break up your pages? How does a caching reverse proxy help you out? Well, I think a lot of people would like to do those things, but they're using some kind of content management software which just doesn't allow that. If, if you're running a small web site with a, a small community for you know race car enthusiasts or something like that, this is not an issue. But if you're running a major newspaper in a country like Norway, you need a, a serious content management system. You need to be able to handle advertising. You need to be able to handle all sorts of weird media interaction things. You will have stories posted that cannot be put on the web until a certain time, and they have to be removed after a certain time and so on. So, so 
they need heavy-duty content management systems. And heavy-duty content management systems seems more or less universally to suck on the web server side. And it's not just sloppy coding. Some of them obviously have pretty bad coding on that side. But, but it's also a matter of once you have a big content management system, you have a big database. And composing a page may take 200 lookups in that database to find out which news, which ads, which flashing bars and whatever you want to put on your page. So, so it's pretty much impossible for the content management system to do an intelligent job at it. By design, it will be a slow web server. So you need some kind of caching in front of it. It's, it's, it's not a choice as such. And, and whether you then want to try to, to complicate your content management system by, by having to put all the images over here and, and all the flash animations here and the ads on that server and so on, you end up with a, a more, much more complex system. And you end up with a system that's, that's more prone to failures. If you have four different kinds of web servers, you'll have to have dual web servers on all of them. So that's suddenly eight servers instead of two. And, you know, if you're really serious about it, you, own, you don't just double it, you triple it because, you know, the power might fail in that room or whatever. So, so it, it really scales badly in applications like that. And, and we're talking about people for who it's not a matter of getting this particular news story posted today. It's like, we want it posted right now because somebody caught the prime minister with a, a blonde in a rental car or whatever, and we want that out there right now. So, so they have, have high requirements to response time. While I was in Norway uh, last week, there was a, a military coup in Thailand. And that was like, I think, 8 o'clock Norwegian time. And it's like, suddenly you have all these journalists slaving away because, hey, this is news, right? So, so people do not have the, the, the luxury of being able to design their web server backend from a technical point of view because the technical architecture issues are just priority number 17. And, and amongst the first 16 priorities are, are the union's negotiated salary scale and, and, and stuff like that. Technical issues just come way down the scale. And that's why caching is a weapon of choice to get the website to actually perform and, and deliver good content. Everybody has some kind of caching. Squid, uh, Apache Mudcache, Oracle WebCache, or they use Akamai. They just have to do something because the content server by design cannot do it. And it's fairly obvious to me how you would cache static content. You know, multiple people coming to your website are requesting the same object. But when it comes to dynamic content, the system for doing that seems a little more complicated, something I'm not familiar with. So if you do have pages that are being dynamically generated almost on a per-user basis, how do you get much benefit out of caching? Well, this is where we've been trying to be uh, be sneaky and and this is going to be a quite tricky answer to give you, but, but basically we're not trying to determine that in Varnish. We're trying to give the site operator the tools to determine that in Varnish. So quite early in the, uh, in the design process, we looked at a squid config file. And if you look at a squid config file, you can set all sorts of weird options. You can set access lists for this, and you can set filters for that, and you can, can set all, I don't know how many different kinds of things you can set in it. But when you look at the configuration file, the one thing it doesn't tell you is in which order do all these things happen. If you set an access list for this feature, does that mean that this other feature won't be called? How does this filtering affect this filtering? Which one is done first? There's no way to see the sequence of actions that Squid will take on your request 
from the config file. And that means people have these weird config files with a lot of comments saying this has to be here because otherwise it doesn't seem to work. Don't know why. Some date in the past and the initials of an employee who is no longer there. And, and people have these, these sacred documents in the, the, the squid configuration files because they dare not touch it. They don't know what would happen. And so what we decided is this will not work. Um, and instead we came up with the idea to, to uh, use a domain-specific language. We've designed a, uh, a small programming language called BCL, Varnish Configuration Language. And what this is is a programming language for handling web requests. You'll be able to, uh, to inspect and rewrite the URL. You'll be able to look for header, uh, HTTP header fields and, and decide what to do. You can add headers, remove headers, and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and all through the way, you get to decide how the cache will behave. Right when the request comes in, we call a VCL function that's called VCL receive. And this is the place where you can say, okay, if this one comes from an IP number on the internal network, we won't do any caching at all because that's a journalist. Or maybe you will, you'll want to say, we know we had a typo on our front page, so if they come in with this request, rewrite it to this something else. Or maybe you want to strip the tracking information from the URL. A lot of sites use uh, a lot of tracking information in the URL to see how the readers navigate their site and so on. You can strip all that because all you want to do with it is put it in the log file and, and run it through some analysis tools later on. You don't actually need it as part of the web serving project. If you look at most of the URLs for advertising, there's a lot of hexadecimal in the URL. And all that is to figure out where the most efficient advertising is and who should pay for this and stuff like that. The actual image part of, of, of the advertising, the flash part or whatever, is, is like 20 characters. And then there's like 80 characters tracking information on it. You could strip that out already in the cache. Log it to a file, strip it out, and move on. And by putting a programming language there, we give the, the site operator the full freedom to do whatever they want. You can do really weird things that way. You can, you can program up all sorts of, of nasty things for people. We keep track of the amount of traffic per source IP number for the client IP number, for instance, because one of the things that had happened to them in Norway was that a major state institution uh, misconfigured some kind of commercial web cache gadget. So it started soaking down their, their archive of old news at 100 megabits a second. Obviously, that's not fun for either side. So, so it's possible to go down and say, this request came in from a client which has picked up two megabytes per second for the last 10 seconds. So sleep for 100 milliseconds before fulfilling the request because we don't want them soaking up all our bandwidth. We've come up with so many ideas what you can do this way that it's probably best I don't try to list them all here. But, but the crux of the matter is that the configuration file for Varnish is a program. The program is compiled to C code, run through the system's C compiler, and loaded into the, the running pro, uh, process as a shared library. So you write your VCL code, and it runs at full speed. It, it's not interpreted code. It's not you know running Perl or Ruby or something like that. It's running at full computer speed. It's compiled with optimization on the compiler and so on. And so far, we've not been able to measure any performance impact of VCL code at all. Obviously, if you, if you write your VCL program so it does 10,000 regular expression matches per, per URL, you'll have to spend some CPU time on that, but I think that will be somewhat unlikely. So, so that's probably the most innovative feature of Varnish is that you, you get, in, instead of these cryptic configuration files that nobody remembers what does or how it does, you get a, a easy-to-read small programming language, a domain-specific programming language that, that deals well with uh, web requests. So 
people exactly what they configured their varnish to do and and equally hopeful, uh, easy for them to do things they want to do to their web requests. So, so that's a quite long answer to a, a supposedly rather simple question. If people have dynamic content, they will very often know more about the dynamic content than we do. For instance, they may know that the last 32 bytes of the URL is actually just tracking information, and you can disregard that. If the cache was transparent by definition, it would not be allowed to make that decision. But since we're in the hands of the, of the content owner, he can make decisions like that. And that way, dynamic content can be uh, cached quite efficiently, provided the content is cacheable in any form at all. Obviously, if we're talking something like a real-time view of a weather radar, you can't cache that because people want up to the second information. But, but if the information can be cached, Varnish can cache it. Can you get any benefit out of Varnish when you just bring it right out of the box, or do you have to do some custom configuration to actually get something out of it? All three of us in the, in the design group have a, um, a quite long experience with, uh, with the Internet. So, so the um, deployment model we have for Varnish is that somebody has something bad happen to their web service, you know, getting linked from the CNN front page or slash started or whatever, and you have a problem. So you, you pull out some random machine, you stick Varnish on it, you start it up to get through the crisis, and then you go home and sleep, and, and then maybe, you know, one of the next days you'll sit down with the manual and see what can this thing actually do for me. But starting out a Varnish to do the right thing configuration is a matter of copying one binary program onto the machine and starting it with essentially one option, which is which web server are you standing in for. Obviously, you can give more options than that, but, but that's the only one you really need to give is where's the backend server. And it should do the right thing right out of the box. It will The default VCL program will act as a transparent cache, so, so you shouldn't get any nasty surprises by putting it in that way. Obviously, how, how much cache efficiency you'll get depends then on what a transparent cache would decide on your content. And what about features like HTTPS and IP version 6? IP version 6 is, is pretty much uh, in by default. We don't actually cap pretty much what kind of protocol we're running. And if anybody has an operating system that has, you know, OSI transport protocol 4, I think we'd actually run on that too. Not the thing anybody would want to try. HTTPS is a different issue. You get into a lot of, of um, interesting issues about crypto key distribution doing that. And it's certainly something that, that people have already talked to us about, that having a, a Varnish as a, a crypto front end makes sense. And it's probably on the table for version 2 of Varnish at some point, to be able to, to do the HTTPS thing in Varnish and then have a backend that doesn't have to deal with crypto. There's various considerations for how to implement that. And, and obviously, crypto is CPU expensive, so you won't get the same kind of performance out of it. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that feature will be on, on the uh, research list for Vanish version 2 at some point in the future. What about load balancing? Load balancing is an easy thing to talk about because we can't really do much about it. <laughs> the thing we can do in, in, uh, in Vanish is we can do load balancing between multiple backends. You can write a VCL program that says send 50% of the request to this backend and 50% of the request to this backend. Obviously, the ones you cache, you cache, so you don't talk to the backend at all. But load balancing between different varnish machines has to happen at a different level, either at the DNS level or with 
an Altaion box or, or some other kind of, of load balancer network device. Uh, in Varnish, by the time the request has hit Varnish, it's too late to do any load balancing on the front side of Varnish, obviously. That said, uh, a lot of people who currently do load balancing will find it a lot less of a problem if they switch, for instance, from Squid to Varnish, because in Norway we're replacing something like 12 Squid boxes with essentially a single Varnish box and a backup for it. So, so um, the load balancing task will get a lot easier, hopefully, for a lot of people. But it's, it's still, you, you may need to do load balancing, and, and you'll still have to do round-robin DNS or, or LTN boxes or Cisco load directories and, and stuff like that to do it. Because when Vanish gets the request, it's too late for us to do anything about it uh, balancing-wise. And if you ask Varnish to spread its load among multiple backends, is it capable of dealing with the dead backend? As I said, you can do pretty much anything in the VCL programming language. One, one of the interesting things about the, uh, the VCL programming language is that you can switch from one program to another instantly. The request currently running on the old program will continue running in that old program, but any new request from this moment on will run in the new program. So one of the things you can do in your VCL program is say, oh dear, my backend is down change to a different VCL program that implements some kind of fallback policy, asks a different uh, backend or serves static content or whatever. And obviously, in, in a single VCL program, you can have multiple backends defined. And, and you can decide to spread the load evenly, and if one of them drops out, you will stop sending requests to that and so on. We're, we're not completed defining the VCL language, and, and not all the features are implemented yet, because we also want some feedback from the user community what people actually want to do in it. But, but the fact that you have the VCL programming language that giving you freedom to, to think of things that we didn't think of means that anything you can come up with can be implemented. And what about benchmarks and testing? What loads have you scaled this up to? I think the highest number I've personally seen so far was 700 megabit and about 10,000 requests a second. And that was half of that. I think 5,000 requests per second were live traffic and the other five were um, uh, synthetic generated with the Apache Bench program. We had a report from somebody who'd served 18,000 requests a second. That was on a single CPU machine. The 700 megabit was actually a dual CPU machine, but it was only loaded about half, so the other CPU wasn't actually doing anything. And I think we'll, we'll see even higher numbers in the future because Barnish is, is doing something like 10 or 12 system calls to serve one cache hit. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, we could fill 100 megabit Ethernet with a 486DX50. So if a, a dual socket uh, Opteron almost 3 gigahertz thing can't fill the gigabit Ethernet, I would be very disappointed. And if we can't fill 2 gigabit Ethernet, then I think I would still be disappointed. Uh, hopefully all that new hardware we've had in the last 10 years should be able to, to at least 10-double the bandwidth and hopefully more than that. So, so we'll probably see higher numbers as, as time goes by. The optimization we've done until now has pretty much been on the architectural level, designing the varnish process to, to do as little processing as possible. There's, there's a number of, of trivial algorithms, you know, hash tables and, and stuff like that, that are essentially untuned at this point in time. We haven't really looked at whether the hash function we're using is the best one for the task or anything like that. It's just a, a pure CRC32 because we had to, to use something to get going. So, so there's a lot of, of potential for optimizing Varnish even further than now. And, and I'm afraid this may not happen in any near-time uh, timescale because very few people actually have a web server serving more than a few hundred megabits a second anyway. 
Is there any benefit to running Varnish on the same machine that is hosting your website? That's a good question. We don't know yet. We're very good at using virtual memory. So if you're running on a 64-bit machine, it may actually be a good idea to do something like that because Varnish will be able to, to use any amount of RAM that the web server is not using itself for caching objects and probably be able to pick them up off the disk faster than, than the web server would be because we don't have the file system overhead once they're cast in virtual memory. Uh, that's another difference from Squid because Squid opens one file for each object it stores on disk. We don't. We have a single file and, and store all the objects in that, and then we simply use the virtual memory address of it when we want to send that object. But but it's one of the things that a couple of people have been playing with that because, well, basically they didn't have a spare machine standing ready right now. Um, and it's an easy way to play with Varnish because you just change the port number of your web server and you put Varnish in on port 80 and, and you're off you go. And and the reports I've had so far has been positive, but it's, it's the kind of thing that uh, needs a lot of careful benchmarking to see if there's any actual benefit. And, and the result of that benchmarking will probably be it depends on your content and depends on your web server. So, so I think it's one of those questions where, where the best answer is to people, try it, let us hear it. If you find out something interesting, tell us about it. And what platforms does it run on, both operating system and hardware architecture? Confirmed architectures and, and so on, is it runs on pretty much anything that Linux and FreeBSD runs on at this point in time. In a more abstract sense, it's supposed to run on any moderately reason, uh, reasonable POSIX-like system. We need to have a TCP-IP stack, obviously. We need to have a uh, memory map system call to be able to use uh, virtual memory, but that is really it. Uh, Varnish is a very simple program in some uh, some respects. We use very few features, or, or we need very few features to work, but obviously when if we have things like send file system call, uh, accept filters, socket option inheritance, and, and stuff like that, obviously we'll exploit that to the fullest because performance is part of the game here. So uh, running on FreeBSD, we use uh, KQ and we use send file, Running on, on Linux, we use that send file, we use uh, ePol, but, but if somebody wants to run Varnish on a old Solaris 5.4 or something like that, it should be pretty much possible to get it to run there, but we haven't actually tried it, because why would you? And is Varnish a userland program? It's entirely userland. There's nothing kernel about it. All right. Well, are there any other topics that you want to speak about today? I might want to say a little bit more about the the software architecture thing because, as I said initially, the reason why I took on the Varnish project was I've, I've gotten pretty tired of people complaining about the performance of their applications. And then when you start looking at what they're doing, they're using a modern uh, Unix kernel in a completely stupid way. They're treating it like it was a 30-year-old computer. So I, I, I hope that Varnish will be able to um, serve as an educational tool to, to show people how getting maximum performance out of an operating system works these days. And I'm certainly going to be uh, be hitting a number of conferences with a talk about performance design in modern computing applications because it's, it's clear from what I've seen around the place that a lot of people have really not understood what performance trade-offs there are in a modern architecture. So, so that's probably the educational sense of Varnish, which I'm, I'm hoping will also be noticed in, in the open source and, and, for that matter, closed source circles of IT development, hoping to, to explain to some people that they have to stop programming for this old model of a CPU and some RAM and some disk because that's really not what computers look like anymore. 
Other than that, I'm just kind of leaning back now that we have 1.0 released and fixing a couple of bugs that show up and waiting to see what happens, what happens when people figure out what Varnish is. We've got a lot of uh, feedback from, from CMS system and, and providers that says, hey, we've been looking for something to replace Squid with. And, and once these people get to sit down and play with it a bit, I expect we'll get a lot of feedback. And then we'll probably try to see if we can, can get some people to actually cough up some money to, to do a concerted effort on a version 2 of Varnish. One of the features that everybody is, is talking about is even just a primitive content construction facility. Most news sites have some box somewhere on the page that says t- uh, 10 most recent news items. And it would speed up processing a lot if those 10 were inserted by the Varnish cache instead of the backend system. Because that way the main article could be cached for a day maybe, but the, the 10 most recent could just be cached for 10 minutes or one minute for that matter. And the backend would get a lot less work to do. So that's one of the, the uh, high-ticket items for Varnish version 2 is some kind of, of content construction facility. And, and hopefully some of these professional CMS houses or or maybe some of the big uh, news sites that uh, might be interested in Varnish would help us get sufficient funds together to, to do a concerted version 2 uh, project. Or maybe some volunteers will come up and do it all for free. Time will show. It would be nice if content management systems could include with their distribution a sample Varnish template for their product. I think a number of them are competing to be the first one to do that already. It seems that Norway is uh, surprisingly big in content management uh, vendors, and a couple of those were present at the press conference, and some of them said things like, we're going home to code right now. And and one of the things that, that it, it's a minor detail for most sites, it, it, is that we can do content invalidation instantly. Very often content management system will assign, say, a one-hour caching time for an article, but if the, if the journalist goes in and, and uh, corrects the name of somebody in the article, they want to be able to push the revised version right away. If you're a newspaper, you may have the police standing there with a court order waving at you or something like that. So content invalidation in caches is a big-ticket item for professional news sites. And, and one of the things we've implemented in Varnish is that you can actually give a regular expression. And anything matching that regular expression will simply not be served any further from that very instant. And if you have, like, a million cast items, you don't need to go through the one million cast items to figure out which ones that is. It will happen instantly because it will happen at the moment they get served. And and that feature has gotten us a lot of raised eyebrows in, in the content management uh, circles because Squid cannot do that. Squid can only uh, invalidate if you have the exact URL for the object. And if you tacked on uh, tracking identifiers or, or, or something else like that, you're stuck then you can't tell Squid drop this item. So so that one got a lot of raised eyebrows. Uh, and, and at least one content manager uh, system is, is actually right now coding to be able to use that in, in Varnish. And if people want to get Varnish, how can they get it? From our project website, which is, I think the official one now is varnishcache.org. If you just take varnish.org, you'll probably get some painters association or something like that. But varnishcache.org should lead you to our webpage. Is it in ports yet? Uh, I believe it is. I think uh, Doug Erling, who works for Linpro in Norway, put it in post right at the release date. So it should be right off the bat and off you go. Well, thank you for speaking with me today. You're welcome. And maybe we'll catch up with you for Varnish version 2.
Tomble Show. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. Or if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 72.